This week on the podcast, we talk about everything from Baldur's Gate to Star Wars. We're talking organising cities, SimCity style, but actually good. Welcome to We Speak Common. Hello, Joe. Hello. Oh, man. <laughs> That's a great start. Oh, man. I'm so, I'm so tired. Um, I am... I am extremely hungover. I had a birthday party last night. Not mine, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't remember most of it. And I met a good friend's uh, boyfriend for the first time. All I remember is that I'm going down to Loughborough in October for a beer festival and that he really likes rum. <laughs> Standard. Yeah. Standard Niall. Yeah, I, I do not feel... <laughs> I do not feel good. So there's like, there's going to be a lot of like sloshing noises while I drink water through this episode uh-huh. and probably the next one too. I mean, I can't imagine it being any more low quality than our standard fare, so... No. Um, no. I mean, it just blends in nicely, I would say. If I have to run off to the toilet, we'll... Uh, you know why? <laughs> <laughs> it, is, it is that bad. How are you? I am... Um, very well, very good. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I suppose in terms of the old Dungeons and Dragons, mm-hmm. um, which is kind of relevant, I suppose. To this, uh, it is a little bit, this yeah, podcast. just a bit. Um, not really been playing it, been playing uh, Star Wars. You have been playing Star Wars, you've been playing a lot of Star Wars, I have been playing a lot of Dungeons and Dragons. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. yeah, it's a mixed bag. I've been playing some uh, Fantasy Flight games, Star Wars. How's it going? Age of Rebellion. It's very fun. It's very fun. You enjoying it? Um, yeah. Um, playing with a, a few different guys from all over the world, mm-hmm. as it happens, which is kind of fun. It's mm-hmm. uh, the power of technology, Ben. Oh, it's, it's crazy. incredible, isn't it? It's amazing. we got players in Australia. we got players in America, Canada, the, you know, <laughs> wherever. You know, I mean, They're all over the shop. Yeah. Um, so that's been kind of fun. Um yeah, it's pretty interesting actually because we're playing. So the Fantasy Flight game is set into like three, essentially three different RPGs that yeah. you can mix and match in. So they have their own rules. So you've got because ed- Fantasy Flight's the system, isn't it? Yeah, Fantasy Flight's like the company you make it right. Right. Okay. So what's the, so, what is so the then system? you've got Edge of the Empire, which is for like your bounty hunters and smugglers and that sort of thing, right? Right. And then you've got Asia Rebellion, which is being part of the rebellion and, yeah. and that sort of thing. And then you've got Force and Destiny, which is like Force-sensitive characters. Um, Jedi and such. Yeah, exactly. But it's all set kind of post-Clone uh, Wars, so it's like, um, you know, a bit ragtag. Mm-hmm. Um, but what's cool is you can intermix these. So you can take a class from one, one of the games and put them in another one, and it works perfectly fine. Cool. Um, there's just a few... S- select mechanics from each like uh, system that mm-hmm. are specific to that system so like Age of Rebellion has duty so you build up a duty score and you get rewards for being dutiful to the rebellion Edge of the Empire has obligation so everyone has like a debt or something they owe think mm-hmm. kind of like you know Owen Jabba mm-hmm. um, and then Force and Destiny has morality so the put being pulled towards the light and dark side so obviously they all use the same system of rules so they can all be interchangeable my question is if you take a a, a character this isn't the, the topic of the podcast I'm just interested um, is if you take a character from uh, the say from Force and Destiny yeah. and you put it in was it Edge of the Empire yeah right they have morality and they have obligation. So does yeah. your mora- does one character have morality and the other have obligation, or do they both so get both? So you can kind of choose which systems you want to use. Yeah. So you could take the Force and Destiny character and drop the morality system if you wanted. Mm-hmm. Um, the light and dark side pips of like the Force die and stuff, they still work mm-hmm. um, separate from that. And then you could just give them an obligation like everyone else. Yeah. Um, if I was to do it, I wouldn't do that. I would have them have the morality system and everyone else have the obligation system. Yeah, it yeah. just adds a bit more um, variety, I think. Makes it more, more unique to each other. Yeah, exactly. I, yeah. And, um, See, it, feel, it feels like this game is one that... Um, would always require that that setup before you play. You can't just roll a character and join a game. You have to know what's going on to get involved. Kind of. Um, it's not a bad. It's thing. interesting because I. So we're playing Age of Rebellion, but yeah. I'm playing a Force and Destiny character. Mm-hmm. Um, so my guy has Force powers, and then we've got like a, an engineer in the group and a pilot in the group and mm-hmm. that sort of thing. Um, and so I have essentially we're doing like I have morality and uh, duty. So we have everyone's got a duty score. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I also have morality on top of that, which I have to have to deal with. Yeah. Um, and that can affect me statistically depending on um, 
how far up and down the the scale of good and evil I am basically yeah um it's kind of interesting I found that like uh it the game can quite easily be broken I think I've already broken it with my yeah we were talking about the force powers before the force the force powers are somewhat broken it it's mainly move so like force pushes and pulls yeah you can just get ridiculously powerful with it <laughs> and the th- here's the thing this is what you want <laughs> but it doesn't matter too much I don't think because my character I've made him really narrow so he's really good at like for instance we had this fight and people were just getting wrecked instantly yeah and then in one round I like smashed up <laughs> all these like big bugs that were attacking us just <laughs> force pulled them all together and they all died and it was it was glorious mm-hmm. and I did like a ridiculous amount of damage um, but my character can't really do anything else. He's terrible at flying, mm-hmm. at engineer stuff. Mm-hmm. So I don't feel like it takes away too much because also most of the other characters aren't too combat focused. They're primarily um, skills focused. And to be honest, my character's not built very well because in this game, I find in D&D, you can be very focused. Yes. It's fine. You know, you can just be good at hitting things it with a sword. It doesn't break the game. No, because primarily the game is combat focused and everyone has their own niche in combat mm. and then um, you have a few other skills and that's it. But in the Star Wars game, because it's so much more narrative driven, the delineation between this is a combat segment and this is a uh, an exploration segment yeah. or whatever, there is no real delineation. You can sort of be doing both at the same time. Yeah. Because it's just, essentially the whole game is just made up of skill checks. Yeah. There aren't really attack roles. It's just skill checks. Mm. Um, and so... Having been good at quite a variety of skills is is quite important. Um, whereas my character's not, not good at any that, of that. Yeah. No, no, he's, like, he's good at pushing and pulling things, and he can hit things with a lightsaber. That is his. He's soul. a force barbarian. <laughs> that is that is literally what he is. Yeah. So um, yeah, but it's it's pretty interesting. It's a fun I, um, uh, break from D and D. The one thing I've seen uh, when I when my interactions with it online is that people say it's one of the best cinematic systems out there. It really and is. And I and I in this small amount that we played, I played that one session with you. Um, I see that and I can see the potential in that I am very interested because now now that you're in it and you play a regular game and you've got the knowledge I'm really interested in getting the knowledge on the the reskin of 5e that was based off of that system and and comparing the two I think that'd be an interesting episode mm. um, just to see whether whether because we've talked about reskin in D&D before and I think that's a, that would be a good uh, look into how how it can be done and whether it works well or not. So yeah. maybe maybe we should do that in the future. And it really encourages players to describe things because I can roll and attack and then you get successes and then you also get these things called advantages and threats. Mm. And so say I've got a couple of advantages, I can give the next player like a boost die, which is essentially like a giving a player a bit a boost to his next action. And mm. so, but then I can do. But then the onus has, is on me to describe how that happens. So if I shoot something with a blaster yeah. and I get someone, okay, I'm going to give Mitch over here his um, boost die for his next attack, I can be like, okay, I shoot my blaster and it, I actually shred a bunch of the tree and all this shrapnel is coming down on the enemy, making them like partially blinded. Yeah, yeah. So, like, and for instance, um, we had a this NPC like threw a grenade at this big creature in the in the woods, mm. um, and I can't remember if he hit it or not. But he rolled he rolled like a triumph, like a, which is like a crit basically, um, and you could do a lot with it. But you can have it do mechanical things, which are pre-written, like um, roll on the crit table to see if you chop off someone's arm or whatever, you know, mm. and do other stuff. Or you can just essentially have it have a big impact on the moment. So what we had is like the entire, the grenade blew up like this tree and the whole canopy came down. Cool. And so then um, basically like the, it created a bunch of cover because, um, you know, and so that's extra stuff that wouldn't really happen in just a I yeah. hit you, you hit me sort of thing. Yeah. Um, so that's quite cool. Um, My only problem is that I am morally... Obligated to stay away from propriety, uh, propriety dice. So, yeah, you know, I have to. They have to have numbers, otherwise I can't touch them. Um, my last couple of weeks has been uh, very D and D heavy because I'm playing in this descent game, and Grace, it, one of our players, uh, is moving away. She's moving back to Manchester, so we're trying to fit in as many in-person games as we can before she goes. Uh, we're trying to get to hell before we turn before we go on to like a Discord game. Um, so we had two sessions this there, week. But... I know, we're, I know, and let's not talk about it. It scares me. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> my character would be right at home. <laughs> yeah. But uh, it's I've done something in this game that I think I've never done before. The way I feel about this character is the way I feel about like I feel like you know Archon, uh, mm. Jay Magnus character, and the way he talks about Archon. I feel like I feel that way about my character, Clath. 
Um, he's uh, the son of one of the patriarch families, a noble in Baldur's Gate, and he's and he's um, trying to free the Hidden Lord from his shield. And his whole goal is to get in charge of Baldur's Gate and to make it a better place. But the whole theme is: does the do, do, does the end justify the means? Because he, he's working with devils, um, and I. We, as we were working through the opening levels levels missions and quests i was rescuing people who had sway in the city and i was like it's fine go and hide out at my manor and once when we got back and they were all there i was like james i'm gonna call a meeting now and i did this whole speech and i put my name down so i'm basically like running for president of Baldur's gate it's fantastic um really honestly i'm i'm kind of gutted that you can make this game because James is how fleshed out is like from the book. Obviously, yeah. you're not running it, yeah. but from your perspective as a player, how fleshed out does Baldur's Gate feel compared to say Waterdeep, where the entire campaign is set there? Like comparable, detail wise, um, comparable. I think because uh, when I t- said to James that I want this, like my idea for this character, he was all on board with it, and he said, "Fine, you need to read this page to this page of the book," and it basically gave me. Um, because the, the Baldur's Gate is split into an upper and lower city. Yeah. Um, so he gave me all of this knowledge on the upper city, and it's got information about places that we will never go to. Um, like there's there's a, a Temple of Gond that has a... There's a rumour rumor that there's a vault underneath where all the patriarchs pay to have their goods kept in these different vaults underneath, and it's hidden, and there's all these um, inventions made by the people of God who follow Gond that... Um, some people don't even know what they do but like yeah, that's never going to come up so there are there are bits like that like in Waterdeep mm. that's fleshed out I feel like they've done a very good job um, with Waterdeep you had uh, at, at the back of Dragon Heist there's a thing called Volo, uh, Volo's Echelon or whatever it's called I can't remember it's like a handout that you, that you literally give to the players and they can read it and it's an in-universe like guide to Waterdeep I don't think there's anything like that for Baldur's Gate but I think there's enough that you could comfortably run the game the way I run Waterdeep and build on top of it and that's what James has done he's really built he's added things on and built on top of it and it and it fits it feels like it's a very easy city from a player's perspective for him to drop things in and out of and just it just grow on um, so that's a very very fun game it's going really well uh, we have actually we probably should have said this 12 minutes ago um, uh, something that's happened this week that's quite fun uh, is that I well, this comes out on Thursday, so yesterday, in release time, I went on to this is weird because it hasn't happened yet on uh, BBC Norfolk uh, in the evening to talk about D and D. So that was a lot of lot of fun. I assume. <laughs> I mean, I assume it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, it was great. It was great, man. You, it was. You, it, you, I said really exactly great. the right thing, yeah. didn't I? Yeah, yeah. yeah you were great. Um, uh, basically, I um, it's a little bit of knowing someone, a little bit of uh, they've opened up a scheme, um, and I sent the podcast in, and they just happened to have people. Express an interest in D&D over the last couple of months so this producer that I know said do you want to come in and promote the podcast and talk about the show so um, I will tune in yeah t- tune in it happened yesterday <laughs> yeah um, it's evening It's I'm, I'm on between 9 and 10 it's on the sh- it's on a show for, for a younger audience um, it's and it's BBC Norfolk, so that makes sense. Uh, you know, it's only it, BBC Norfolk is a very old demographic. But, and if you're just listening to um, this show because you caught that BBC Norfolk episode, um, hello you. Then um, what have you done? Yeah. <laughs> what have you done? <laughs> Why are you here? Yeah. <laughs> and if you're if you are of the older generation and you're um, listening to that show, uh, it's cool. Confusion is justified. <laughs> uh, so yeah, uh, I will post a link on Twitter about it and stuff before this episode goes up and afterwards. You can go back and listen to it on the BBC Sounds app uh, you have to just do a bit of searching to find BBC Norfolk because it's obviously one of the small stations but if you want to do that you can I mean you're, sure. already, you're already here you've already got me and Joe so it's just extra content if you want it so that's a lot of fun hopefully something will come out of that maybe I mean, slightly worse content so I'm not part of that content so obviously you'd be getting yeah, it's, less you'd be than getting, you are now it yeah. would be an inferior experience you won't be getting but... Joe you'll just be getting me and yeah. and let's let's be honest not everybody wants that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so, yeah. what, what are we talking about today, mate? What's the... See, I'm just rumble. their talent. I just show up. Ben actually... Uh, I actually do the work. Yeah. He actually does the work. I so the work. Um, I never know what I'm going to get when I come in here. It's uh, Well, let's be honest. Um, a lot of the show uh, ha- is, is responding to listeners at this point. Yep. Um, which is really, really good. 
um, really helpful because they are more creative than us. Well, it just brings us interesting topics that we can we can jump on. So I've got a couple here. A one we'll start with a, a, a smaller one. Uh, which actually moves on quite nicely from talking about Boulder Skate and and Waterdeep, Mm -hmm. uh, which is uh, how we make big cities feel fleshed out. So this is from Wilson Brett Michael. Wilson. Now, I don't know if that is... I think his name is Brett, because he signed it Brett Wilson, Brett, Brett W. So... This email system puts their names in a weird order, I'll be honest. That's how Hawk got the nickname Hawk. I'm just picturing him as, like... The uh, football off castaway. Yeah, sure. That's yes, what, that's what Wilson. it is. Wilson. Sorry, mate. Mm. Um, my players are on their way to one of the largest cities in my homebrew world. How do you gents keep a big city organised while still making it feel appropriately massive? He said he's a big fan of the show, but he's sad that he's now caught up to the, with the episodes because he has to listen like a normal person. Well, we have both ran big old cities. We so... have, and we've both run homebrew and published ones. So, well, okay. I have. Yeah, I've not done any published ones. But um, for me, I had this issue because I started my players and on about session three, I suppose, um, they were going into a large city. Mm. Um, And it was probably the most fleshed out part of the world. Was that that two years ago? That that was a long time ago, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) That was... I remember those sessions vividly, though, because they were... Mm. They were absolutely like they were like I remember foundations of like, like escaping the city as it was being attacked by like cavalry riders and things. Yeah, like, oh, it was God, um, so good. So the good old days for me. I started off by laying out. Okay, what does it look like in my head? What am I trying to evoke here? Mm-hmm. My initial inspiration was um, the main, the white city in Cyrodiil in Oblivion. Yep. Yes, I, was, I use that city too. I was like, okay, because I, I just like the way that city looks. Um, and it's so easy to use as a map because of that opening cinematic where it zooms yeah. in and you, and you fly around the tower. And I thought about it, okay, I want a, I want for when everyone's, wherever they are in the city, I want them to know where they are visually. Yeah. So I, was like, I need a focal point. So I stuck a big mile tall tower in the centre of the city. How anyone built this mile tall tower, you know, I, I figured that out at a later date. Um, yeah, we'll worry about that later. Um, turns out it was a, a huge giant that planted a spear in the ground very millennia cool. ago. Very, very cool. And then um, people just built into it. Yeah. Yeah, carved so, it away. So... I should say as well, I think that's a very good tactic as straight away, like, let's just put one of these tips in here. Having a big, big vocal landmark. point, land, landmark, like, Waterdeep is the mountain, mm. uh, yours is the tower, um, mine, your city uh, that you come from in my homebrew world was the big windmill big that windmill, powers yeah. the city. It's really, yeah. so really good technique. It gives um, the player something to visualise and kind of a, a focal point um, to, to fix them on in the world, so... When they're imagining things, it, it makes it a lot easier to describe as well. Yeah. Um, and then I thought, okay, how am I going to lay this out? I didn't really look too much at... Ri- a good thing to do is look at real cities and figure mm. out, okay, how do they actually lay themselves I've out naturally? I've never done that. The one thing I did think is, well, almost all cities uh, are on the coast or they have some water source because it makes sense that you would build it up around yes. this source, right? If it, yeah, yeah. So I was like, okay... Um, I'll put stick a river in there, so there's a, a river that flows right next to the city. There, I, then I so I can have some docks and things yep. on there, and yep. um, that flows out to the sea. That was perfect. Um, it also allowed me to build this other landmark in because I built this like mile long magical bridge that's like suspended there. Um, you know, structurally doesn't make any sense. I love it. Again, that was a little another little um, fantasy world. It's fine. Yeah, another li- another little air of mystery of like how does this work? You know, um, but it's so old, no one knows. Hmm. But um, so elves did it is is the answer to basically obviously, everything obviously um and then i thought okay i it's going to be basically impossible for me to flesh out every street of this city mm-hmm. um so i immediately thought okay i'm going to have to abstract it a little bit mm-hmm. so what i did is i i segmented into the city kind of like a water deep segmented into wards I segmented it into rings layers so there are essentially four rings to the city so it's the city from attack on time Sure, I mean, I've not really watched Attack on Titan, but uh, oh, okay. I'm just going to say yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, kind of like, uh, if you think about, um, like, Minas Tirith, mm-hmm. um, Gondor, 
but without the elevation. So yeah, it's still on one flat plane. Yeah, exactly. So you've got the outer walls, and straight away I decided, okay, these are going to be dilapidated. Like these, there's a massively tall, like 40, 50 foot tall outer concrete wall is going to have loads of holes in it, be broken down. This is like a completely rundown part of the city. I can have lots of crime and stuff going on around here mm-hmm. because I also wanted. Okay, I'm going to have these players spend a lot of time in the city. I want them to be able to get in fights and things without the uh, interference of of guards and the law I'm like so I can just have this level one be like a ghetto lawless place um I added like a flooded district to it, which you guys then went into and had. That was very cool. Had a little in, uh, adventure in there, and then the second layer I had. Okay, so this is where most people are going to live. Um, you know, common folk who don't who don't live in the ghetto, they live here. Um, <laughs> the common folk. We're going to have. Um, this is where almost all my factions and things are going to reside. This is like the largest ring of the city, right? Yeah. Um, because what they do, they've basically decided, okay, we'll just let the rundown rule walls and things of the first layer be fine, and then all the if we ever get attacked, the enemies can just funnel in there, and then we'll just fight them in that first layer. Mm-hmm. Um, so the secondary walls are quite strong, and then I thought, okay, then I've got the third layer. I'm like, okay, this is where all the expensive and rich stuff is. It was also a way for me to gate that from the players because it's quite literally difficult to get into there it's like a gated community yeah um so you guys actually had to get some clout before you could even enter i remember that um so because that has that uh i mean you never really explored it but that area has a lot of magic items a lot of rich people a lot of opportunity now i feel like we missed out (laughs) there was didn't we we fight a ghost there uh you did fight a ghost ghost in a fountain uh well you fought the ghost well actually technically you didn't fight the ghost you subdued the ghost with uh Love and empathy. Love and empathy, yeah. <laughs> we, we helped him onto the other side. It was a strange quest, I'm going to lie. Um, oh, and then the fourth ring is essentially just a military complex which houses the palace yeah. and the big old tower where the old queen lives. So that... And w- that, that... And it's... it's it's not like half rings, it's full rings, so it's full circumference. Yeah, yeah so exactly. So it's a big old place. It's a big place. And interestingly... Um, I built all this stuff. You guys never went to the eastern side where the docks were or anything like that. No. Everything happened on the, the western ring. So it could have been like a half circumference. It wouldn't have made any difference. Yeah. It could have been on the coast. It could have been. It wouldn't make any difference. But um, That would be cool. And then I found... So I built all this stuff out, so I had a vague idea of what was happening. But then pretty much 95% of their time was spent in the second ring anyway. Yeah. So... And that's because I just put all the quests there. Um, so tip number one, put the quests where you know stuff is and where yep. you're confident you can right. run things that's tip number two tip number one is build a landmark yep yep um, put you know where you can run things so if you if I've not really fleshed out a lot of the third ring I might not put a quest there until I have done so mm. and now if the players want to go there uh, anyway I've still got a, a, a vague enough idea that I can run something there they yeah. want to go and meet someone or steal something I put a lot of the um, really big like religious temples in there so mm-hmm. I thought okay if the players ever want to go there at least I fleshed out these temples yeah. and you did end up going to one anyway um, and there's a reason to go there yeah exactly it was kind of like a, a side quest that developed yeah. etc um, and so that's what I did there and then I made it a bit more complex because I had this entire undercity that you briefly went to yeah um, this city had essentially been built on top of other cities and was slowly getting compacted mm. slowly uh, falling into the ground falling into the ground yeah. yeah it was all a bit structurally unstable bit um, so elves man yeah and then to make the city iconic I, I thought okay I need three or four like visual things so one I described all the walls as every all the stone in the city is like a special type of stone mm-hmm. that's it, it's like white um really clear almost like marbly right that it's, it's what the crucible's made out of which is like the big tall tower um also give every, give everything cool names crucible the crucible, the crucible. It, it's not just a tower it's the crucible oh, um, we'll have to go to the the, the big tower it's what not, do you mean the crucible it's not the palace it's the dread fort <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> here's how you tell your players that they're evil yeah, yeah. um and so the dread fort <laughs> yeah that, that's what it's called how's it got that name daddy <laughs> oh, yeah, People dread it, <laughs> yeah. and it's a fortification. <laughs> wow, <laughs> so creative. <laughs> I think I might still be a little bit drunk. <laughs> and so I did that. So I'm not, I, just to clarify, <laughs> I can never tell. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'm, I wanted that. That was one visual thing. Um, so I described this special stone, and it had. I would describe it as having air of arcane 
uh, kind of residual flow to it, right? There was just something about it that was a bit off. Tip three, use big words like uh-huh. residual. And yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, and then uh, it all tied together when you, the, these guys had this, found out that this was a big spear and etc. Yeah. Um, I mean, the, uh, as a player, it all made sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it, yeah. As much as I mean, a, big, I'm just, I'm just a big giant I'm, spear. I'm describing like 20 <laughs> sessions in yeah. like five minutes. Yeah, this happened over But the, this was my thought months. process because I didn't flesh all this out before starting the campaign. I built outwards as the campaign ran mm-hmm. and I built things as I needed them, yeah. which is not normally how I do stuff. I normally plan it all out beforehand. Like with when my player, when we eventually play my game again, whenever that'll be, um, and we go to this new area... That's Say how you all, really mean it, Joe. That's all been <laughs> that's all been fleshed out pretty much before they get there. Just because I've had time to do it. Yeah. Um, so this will it'll be interesting to see how the two methods of world like the building. Yeah. Yeah. Because there's a lot. Not obviously, I'll continue to build as we go, but there's a lot fleshed out there. Whereas this was really, I would build what I need for the session, um, and then that's how the history. So I wanted a few iconic things. So we had that. We had the queen who runs the place. I made her mm-hmm. kind of visually interesting though you never saw her she always got described to yeah. you yeah and one of our characters one of our players was connected to her in some way she yeah. was like a noble so we knew there was something there yeah and then I had okay I want some sort of iconic um, part of the military or something here so then I had these like griffin riders yeah and I was like how can I tie this together okay they live in the top of the tower Out their bird's nest is up at the top interest did you know that Waterdeep had Griffin Riders when you were doing this? No. I know nothing about Forgotten Realms, no. basically. That's, I mean, uh, as as my player, for me, that's very nice because I can give you stuff and you're like, wow, this is so cool. And I'm like, ah, yeah. did I make it or was mm. it in the book? Ooh. So yeah, I had these, big, cool. had these big Griffin Riders um, and that was like, it makes sense. They would live at the top of the tower, you know, Griffin yeah. like being up in the air. And then the last thing that... I wanted something that everyone knew about the city. Kind of like how everyone... Sort of knows about the well in um, in Waterdeep, right? You know that goes into the under. Oh yeah, yeah, the yeah. only portal. Yeah, and, the only portal. Under mountain. Yeah, yeah, it's like a thing that everyone knows about. Yeah, this I famous. Wanted. So now then I had a, a a huge giant that lives on the top of the crucible, and he defends the city with a massive bow and arrow from any flying threats. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is why he there are no dragons or wyverns or anything like that that come into the city because he shoots them with extreme accuracy. This is very cool. Um, I really, I'm, I'm gutted and, and this that has, we didn't go up there and meet and him. Here's the thing, this has real no bearing on the day-to-day questing in no, this city. No, none at all. But none it's just all. a thing. And every now and again... But it's a really cool thing. And one thing I could do is describe, you like every now and again you'd hear like a, a th- or something... <sighs> And it would be him shooting his arrow at yeah, something. It's like a thunderous crash. Yeah, and, and, okay. like, and then something would fall out of the sky. Yeah, you'd look and you'd try and see. And then eventually when the city got attacked by Wyverns, he was just... He was just going for he it. He was like laying into... He was earning his keep. Yeah, he was yeah, just yeah. laying into lots of different creatures. And then actually, to be fair, it did play into it once because you were kidnapped by a... Uh, by flyers. By a bronze dragon once. Um, and flown away mm. and then when you came into the you came away shit just happens to us yeah and then yeah. when you were awakened in the desert he had a big arrow in his uh, yeah. wing because um, he was of, shot because of the giant yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I I do it very differently um, which I think is w- what makes this a good show because we are very good at what we what we do in our own ways uh, if I do say so myself <laughs> <laughs> have you been on BBC North at all <laughs> 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 um, <laughs> wow Jesus Christ Jeez. I'm sorry that's, uh, that was a poor joke um, but I uh, my campaign was not set in a city like yours um, mine I actually wanted to start outside of the city uh, in a, a smaller uh, like a hamlet town so that the players could earn a place that was their base of operations I mean that went completely out the window they never go back there this house is just rotting um, and is infested yeah, but why by would we go back there Ben there's nothing there that's that there is if you would have looked around but you didn't want to and the world is ending right now there are bigger things at stake yes and I thought maybe if I gave you a home you'd want to fight for the world I mean we're not talking about the coronavirus like when we're talking about the actual D&D world world, world, yeah Yeah, uh, art mirrors reality okay I top the future Uh, so I I had uh, I have these is it five it's five or six I can't remember I can't remember off the top I think it's I think it's six cities that are the main cities of of Esteroth, my homebrew mm-hmm. continent and um, it's not a world it's continent see geographically you added things a lot more laid out than than i did to begin with yeah so i had a map and i plotted that map and uh i i knew 
I put my I put them in so they will have their own distinct features. So there's the city in uh, the lower, uh, the south of the continent, which is um, the only city in the south, and it's surrounded by smaller town hamlets. And it's like this. It's um, it's not part of the Rector's Alliance, so it's it's separated. It has its own rules, has its own governing body. It's not protected by the Rector's Guard. It's mm-hmm. there on its own. Um, but it's still, you know, it talks to them. It it it. it, it works with them it's just not connected and then when you go up to the north you go through a very um the the world thins out a bit and there's one main road and along that main road is the city of narpak and that is the first city in the rector's alliance between the south and the north and it's very much in the middle of landmass and it's in the middle of hilly landmass and i was like "Well, well i want this city here because i want it to be like like um when you when you come into the country and you go through passport control like i kind of want them to be like you're coming into the alliance you're leaving the alliance and there's this one road and i was like well why would there be a city just in the middle of this landmass apart from that reason um so i built out this town um around it and then i sort of had these little farm villages that then just sort of i realized well all of these places are going to need somewhere to trade and, and coalesce and work together so over time this city is built up so that's kind of its 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 origin it's very mundane mm. but then it's i've given it its um it's fleshing out with its uh, it's very marble like think spain like marble kind of nice mm-hmm. white walls um it's got a coliseum you know it's got its own laws and and rules for combat and its main landmark is the big windmill that powers the city and they are farmers they uh they are agricultural um i've got a city i've got two port cities one is the main capital uh called rifton uh and that is uh, off on a uh like a river that comes off of the sea um, and I put that there because that's a very uh, when you look at where you would place cities in the real world that's a very advantageous place to be you've got direct routes to the naval but you're not just off the coast so you're you're, you're protected from attack so that's the city but then there's another um, city which is actually bigger and would be the capital if it weren't for the alliance using Rifton as their home um, and that's seafront and that's the uh, port town and that is known as the port town, even though they're both port towns, on the other side uh, of the continent. And that's where diplomatic missions go off out and about. So that's that. And that place is very, um, very shanty town. It's, it's uh, think like Slumdog Millionaire kind of thing. But mm-hmm. not uh, not like they have, they're not poor. They're not out of money. They're, they're a very well-to-do running poor. But that's their it's just their life that's how they live mm-hmm. um, they all believe in work over money um, if you want something you work for it whether that's working to earn an item or working to earn a place to stay or working to keep a friendship going like you you do your work and they have a routine uh, there's they get up they eat their breakfast they go to work they have two hours off they come back to work they go home at late at night and it goes round and round and round um, so that was their thing. Uh, there's there's uh, one that you haven't been to yet, which has uh, a one of the best diviners and protect uh, protective mages who has this big old ward over the city. You've got magical joke shops and things there as well, which is fun. <laughs> um, so, you know, they've all got their own little flavours. But when I planned them, I didn't plan them the same way you did because obviously you've got, right, these people are here. This is where it's set. I want it to be big enough for the, 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 the world to run out of this city for a long time. I mean, we spent at least 10 sessions there, mm-hmm. minimum, maybe 20. So I wanted each character to come to the city, feel something about that city, see why it's unique, see its, its weaknesses and, and, and strengths, and then want to leave and come back and leave and come back. I wanted people to go to each city, so I didn't plan them to that extent. I planned the main buildings that they would go to. Each city has a mage, so I planned the mage buildings. I planned um, them around what they're known for. So the port town, I planned all the docks and all of the the port fairing like shops, like you can get like nets and you can get fishing rods and all that kind of stuff. Um, in the uh, in Pathstow, where. Uh, not not Pathstow, there's a different city, in Narpak, where you came from, where Galahad hails from, uh, with the um, windmill, I made it so that you could uh, get into 
gladiatorial combat. I've made it so that you can um, get into things like uh, the uh, the training of, of the guard there that's not part of the Rector's Alliance. Like, there's all of this military kind of upbringing, like gladiatorial stuff. So they've all got these little things that you can do, but then when we're playing the game, if I'm sitting there and you say, oh, I want to go and find a blacksmith, I don't have, like, a list of blacksmiths. Mm-hmm. Um, so I can't just say, okay, well, there's one here. That stuff I tend to improvise. Uh, if it's going to be somewhere that, they, that the characters are going to come back to, I will write it down and I'll keep the notes. If it's like, oh, I just want to go and buy a suit of armor, I'm like, yeah, okay, that's fine. Do an insert, you know, do an investigation check. You, you know, how are you finding this blacksmith? Where are you going? What are you doing? And then we role play it out. And I, I know the rules of the city they're in, so I can role play that. I don't have to have that planned. Um, yeah, you essentially have a baseline understanding of what is possible in this city yeah. how will things flow how things work you've essentially immersed yourself enough in the material that you can then um, make informed decisions when improvising yeah exactly and I think for me that works better than having this rigid structure that I have to follow um, it, there is structure and there is there are rules to each city but because they are uh, you know an A4 page each maybe three for the for the big ones at most uh, because it's that small amount of info and the rest is in my head i can just i, I know it i can just do it yeah you gotta think i think when you are planning this stuff what purpose does this planning serve so i sometimes do flesh out shops and things like that with npcs beforehand like where the players are going now there will be a blacksmith there and I have fleshed out who that person is their history etc um, but the purpose of that is because they can serve more than just making stuff that a blacksmith would make yeah. their their personality the information they hold the potential questing opportunity or whatever is greater than just making stuff for the players because if it's just making stuff for the players there's no reason for me to flesh any of that stuff out yeah now that may organically grow maybe you do just come up with it on the on the cuff and then you think a bit later on okay maybe i can use this character so you start to flesh it out a bit and that more. sometimes does happen and i think that's a yeah. very nice organic way for it to work but i think i only going to plan stuff beforehand that i know is going to serve the story in some way and i don't mean the main plot i mean the story can be anything the story mm. is what the players decide to do and what happens mm. and i just think if going shopping and grabbing some swords or whatever you know if that that's not serving the story but if there is a potential for more to happen there mm -hmm. for, stu for stuff to happen then i may plan that in advance if yeah, i want to so be more prepared let's look at Waterdeep then um going on from last week's episode and talking about downtime currently Dragon Heist is a very downtime heavy game and everything that the players do serves the story in some way. That city is opposite to my homebrew cities. It is the main, like they're not going anywhere else. They're staying there. The story is happening in this city. So this city needs to be fleshed out. And I've got all that stuff in the book and I've read it and I've learned it and I know the city like the back of my hand now. So that's great. I've got to the point like I do with my other planning where I can just, I know the stuff that I need to know and the rest is written down for me. But... At the same time, I know that Nathaniel, our, um, uh, what is, what, what class is he? He's a blood hunter cleric. He's not a cleric yet. He's a blood hunter. He's gonna blood be a hunter, cleric. Yeah. So he is trying to become a cleric. Um, so he, a lot of his downtime activities are things like he wanted to go and make, get a sword made. He wanted to make sure he could put his potential insignia of a god in the pummel he wants to look at getting a silvered weapon he wants to go and learn how to become a cleric he wants to learn about uh god themselves and and their tenants and all these different things that happen in that downtime where he says okay i need to go to i want to go to a blacksmith and buy a sword but it's not just i want to go to black blacksmith and buy a sword i want to have one created and i want to ask about silver mm. weapons so in that then when he says to me oh when i say to my characters like what what are your plans um let me know so i can start prepping they give me a, an idea and i say okay in my head right i need to know how silver's weapons work where we can get them put a story around it um, and and then I can flesh it out, and it doesn't have to be big and in depth. But there's that prep there then, and then that's organised. And when he says, "Oh, I want to find a blacksmith," I don't just have to randomly 
come up with it on the spot, um, which sometimes works, sometimes doesn't. Same with the with the churches and stuff. He wants to become mm. a cleric, so I want him to go and ask priests and and talk to them and learn and and create a connection. So I will make NPCs for that. I won't just come up with random ones. However, the first time we went to the church, he wanted to know, you know, a couple of different things, and um, I I didn't have characters prepared. I just had to like make them up. But that was okay because he was. It was the first time he was going there. It was the first time he was learning stuff. So, I don't know. I think. Uh, I think, for me, organizing just comes down to organizing the city comes down to knowing what you need to know, having written down what you need written down, so you can get to it. But then, prepping the stuff you need and not the stuff you don't need. Because mm. if you if you prep the stuff you don't need, you just you spend so much time worrying about the things that don't matter and aren't going to come up. Yeah, you've got to be. Um, pragmatic with your time um, you know your your planning and the the headspace you actually have to get to get stuff done and to remember a lot of this and to be able to accurately um, or to convincingly role play it to the players is limited that is a limited resource mm-hmm. so you have to be cognizant of that and plan accordingly so when I'm this is why I often take one of my things that I do is I take little bits of law and whatever that I think I'll need for a session and I pull it into a single document mm. and then I don't look at any of that other stuff unless I absolutely need to because I have the the bullet points there this is the stuff that's this is the, you know the maximum I can remember and that's going to flow well in a session and then I plan it out from there because if you have all this uh, sort of incredulous detail everywhere um, that's ultimately not pushing the story forward it's not developing the characters it's not helping them to develop their arcs or relationships then it's just fluff for the sake of fluff you know um, and it will might be very important to you as a DM because it's your world it's what you've built you know mm-hmm. but there's a reason you know lots more people read The Lord of the Rings but they don't read the similar you know yeah, Similarian mm-hmm. um, because it's detail um but not everyone wants that uh, kind of intricate information that you can provide. Most of the time, it's just you who wants to do that because you're the DM and you've made it. And that's that. That's a kind of a difficult dichotomy to fight in your head where you're like, oh, but maybe they do want to know where this rosewood come from because this rosewood <laughs> table, I have got a lot of history for it and I kind of want to tell them about it. Yeah, and, I mean, some of them will. You know, and some of them will. And you can do it at the right time as well. You know? I think the uh, the problem is, though, it's like... like he's, okay, to just take this ridiculous, <laughs> this ridiculous example. So you've got this nice rosewood table right. and for some reason you've decided how this was made, how it got here, its history and everything, you know. And you can tell the players about right here. Maybe the owner of this table is very keen to tell them about it. This is probably not going to be very interesting to them. Um, Probably quite boring. It'll be very satisfying for you to be like, hey, look how much I've planned. Look how fleshed out this world is. But maybe in 20 sessions' time, when they're going through the Rosewood Forest, you can be like, hey, bruh, perception check. And then they're like, okay. And then they roll high. And you're like, hey, you remember this wood? This is the same wood that was from that Rosewood table 20 sessions ago. And then they're like, whoa, the world building. It's so complete. And you've done it in a an organic way. But what um, will actually happen is they'll go, what table? Yeah. <laughs> but maybe. And if that happens, that's fine. Then you can explain. And it's still quite impressive. Yeah. But if any of the players actually cared about that connection. They'd have maybe, asked already. Yeah. Um, but maybe if, if any of them plays and they do remember, then it's like, a, whoa, this DM's amazing. <laughs> He's thought all this through. So I think um, with that, there's two things. You either you have a player that wants to know all that stuff, and you have a player that doesn't care because like they like they love the game, they love the world, but that's just too much detail. You know, they're never going to need it. They're never going to worry about it. So fine, fine. You can be either one of those people. I don't mind as long as you enjoy the game, having fun, you put yourself in. Fine. The problem I see is that as a player who would who loves that info, as a guy who has has literally devoured all of the lore he can on the realms to run Waterdeep and to keep it in line with this what's happening in the Baldur's Gate game. Um I like I love lore. I wanna hear it. But I never know if the DM I've got is like with you I know that you've got it. So I know I can ask for it. But when you I feel like most players will sit down and they're like, Oh, I wonder if the DM has uh, made lore about that rosewood table. <laughs> yeah. oh, I I probably probably shouldn't ask that might look a bit weird. Yeah. He probably hasn't. And then he's gonna make something up and he's gonna feel pressured. Ice fine, I won't ask. Or 
or they're like hmm yeah i, I want to know about that rosewood table i'm going to ask right now and just annoy everybody while we talk about this table for five minutes yeah and it's like well it's like you kind of you kind of want to ask but you also you also don't want to be so rude to be as like hi excuse me dm question have you uh, have you put the time and effort into you know work out where this road was, where the table comes from? Because if you haven't, you know I want you to. So I just ask anyway. I just like to get all those, and I, I almost enjoy it more when the DM, ha- DM hasn't planned for it. Yeah, you like, like, you <laughs> love making me pull stuff out of, out of thin air. <laughs> you really do. Like Ben, where did these gravelly stones come from? What was the sort of precipitation um, like in this area? Joe, there's to... a process called sedimentation. Right, I uh, see. Yeah, I see. <laughs> there's a river up left on the map. Because Ben, if I dig down, mate, and I don't find clay, Ben, none of this makes any sense. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I just made that up. I don't know if that's geographically appropriate. No, I I'm don't not know. sure. I don't know, but that's the type of thing that you do. And it's like, it's like, oh, and it's it's when it, there's the moments when they catch you out, when players catch you out, and they're like, oh, what? Um, so what's what's this person's name? And I'm like, James. Oh, what's his? But what's his surname, Ben? And I'm like, James Jim. It's James Jim. This is James Jim. However, there was a moment in the Baldur's Gate game where that happened. We went to a bathhouse and outside was an old man smoking a pipe. And my character was, is I'm playing the type of person who, like, with James as the DM, I can literally, he'll be like, right, you're going to go to this bathhouse. And I'll just go, oh, I love this bathhouse. And he'll roll with it. And that's great because my character is meant to, like, frequent these places in town. Um and we walked in. I was like, oh, it's Bill. Hi, Bill. How you doing? And Billy Jim was born. And Billy Jim <laughs> became a very important character. Billy Jim died. And oh, that's sad. Uh, the cultists killed him. And That's unfortunate. I mourned Billy Jim and later went to his wife and, and gave her money because I because she was pregnant. And Billy Jim didn't, not the only thing Billy Jim gave her, I mean. didn't even know. No, we're talking, <laughs> this is Billy Jim. He's my best friend. So, you know, there's characters like that that can be... Part of the family now. Massively feet under the table. All right. Okay, the Rosewood table. Is, so it's full circle full now. Circle, full circle. I wondered where you were going with that. So you know that, that, that can be good and it can be bad. Um, I don't know how we got to that, but I don't know. I mean, we were talking about cities and, and planning and things. Yeah, we um, were gonna also talk about. It came. It just became more of like a detail thing and how much you put in. Because I think that's kind of. The main, I think that's what organisation is. That is the main difficulty with cities. Is um, there's a lot of detail you do need to cover. It's it's way easier to do um, kind of sort of disparate areas of um interest and things in a more rural setting because you can just make up all the rural stuff as you go random encounters yeah. figure out okay I, i've got a rough idea of what sort of creatures would live here what yeah. might pop up etc and you just do a few encounters along the way that's why there are so many here's the random encounters for forests here are the random encounters for mountains because here it is for the underdog it, it can be a lot more um generic and kind of standardized uh, and not in a bad way, really, because, like I say, that that works perfectly fine. But when it's in a city, and especially when you have quite a lot of law there already, you're much more limited on just what generic co- content you can do, quote-unquote. Yeah. So a lot of it has to be more proprietary, and you have to think it out beforehand. Um, but like we say, you can only do that to a certain degree. And when you are writing stuff down and doing details and things, you've got to think, is this serving anything? Like going back to what I said the other week where I was saying, OK, I had this um, plan to... I got some influence off of... Uh, I can't remember what it was. It was like a trailer or something I watched. I was like, oh, that's a really cool visual. And it kind of fits with my D&D world, what I'm trying to do at the minute. Yeah. So I pulled it in there and I wrote it all down. And I spent a lot of time on it. And I was like, was this worth it? And then what it was, was severed hands hanging from ropes. Oh, yes. Yeah. And I was like, this. I'm like, I've spent a lot of time justifying why these severed hands hanging from ropes is it. Like I tied it into the religion yeah. and its meaning and everything. Yeah. And I was like, was this worth it? And then ultimately I decided... Yes, because I'm trying to evoke a certain feeling. And these severed hands hanging from ropes in this moment, when when these players come across them, are going to evoke this creepy feeling that I want to happen. And the history behind it helps me as a DM describe it, I think. I can't wait. If I know all the runes and intricacies that have been put on here and everything, when I describe it, I'm going to be describing it in a more passionate way, which I think will then evoke. Yeah, that's very true. Was it too much? Yes, Ben, there are two pages. (laughs) on these seven hands, Ben. There are two pages. They tie into the religion, the law, the cultist 
um, kind of ways, I suppose. It's too much, Ben. I need help. I cannot wait. I dream of severed hands in my sleep. Oh, God. I cannot wait until we get to these severed hands so I can just be like, that's creepy, cool, bye. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, that is literally... Oh, God. (laughs) Yeah, no, I know. Um, We've all been there. Oh my god, seven uh, hands. I, I don't really know what the, the lesson is in this episode. I'm not sure. We've, we've, we've just digressed into madness. I think um, organising cities is, is a must, but to an extent, and it, it all comes in your detailed planning. Um, if you know the city well enough, your organisation is done for you, I think. Um, that might not be helpful to Brett Wilson. And you'll find as well, the more you live in it, i.e. the more sessions you run in it, uh, the the way... The easier it gets, yeah. The, yeah. It will become way more easy to improvise and add things because the, the fear is, I find, okay, if I haven't planned something and then I add something on the spot, it's not going to be congruent with the rest of the stuff I've planned, but now mm. it's canon and I've made things difficult for myself. Yes. But when you know you're setting really well because you've spent a lot of time there it's much easier to just come up with stuff on the spot that still makes sense in the grander context yeah so i think that the the answer is really just to plan a bit get rolling start running the sessions and then the rest will kind of come to fruition as you as you play yeah yeah i agree we were going to talk about uh another topic too today but we've we've talked for 50 minutes already ad nauseum ad nauseum so what we'll do is uh, tackle that in next week's episode uh, as well as some stuff on the planes so um, should be should be quite fun Uh, yeah there's a lot there to digest I hope it inspires you and I hope Brett Wilson 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 uh, I hope it it answered your question and helped you can uh, send us topics, uh, questions, queries, worries, concerns, etc. to wespeakcommon at hotmail.com. Uh, you can get us at wespeakcommon on Twitter. And as people have begun to now, just message me on Reddit. Um, if you see yeah, something on Reddit, it's me um, having some fun talking away. So. Uh, I'm, t- I'm kind of curious as well, just going back to the Star Wars thing. I don't know why I thought of this. But Come. please write in and tell us what aliens you think me and Ben are just based off our voices. Yeah. That, oh, you should describe what you think we look like. That would be fun. I mean, I'm, I think that I've some, already described Ben as bald. Yeah. So, so I was going to say there are some hints. That, that's in the, other the one descriptor you have. Yeah. Um, and then, and then maybe we'll we'll put a picture on Twitter or something. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's been long enough. Of just the aliens. <laughs> <laughs> this is our true form. <laughs> right. Okay. Let's uh, let's go. Let's um, let's do the do some more more talking in another week. Bye-bye. Bye bye. thanks for listening today if you like the podcast do us a favor leave us a like or review on your platform of choice and share us with your friends you can get in touch with us on twitter at we speak common or through the email we speak common at hotmail.com the music in the podcast is street dancing by timecrawler82 and is licensed under an attribution license cc by nc you can find it on the free music archive